With 1996's The Light User Syndrome, it's bye-bye long-serving guitarist Craig Scanlon. Steve Hanley's version of events is that Smith sacked the whole band and told them they'd have to ask for their jobs back if they wanted to continue to play with the fall. Respect then to Scanlon for refusing, but mostly this story makes me cringe for poor Steve, who really couldn't see any alternative to being in the band. As I mentioned on Cerebral Caustic, Dave Bush is gone too, and with him, the electronic inflections that permeated the early 90s fall sound. In his place is Julian Nagel, former member of St. Winifred's School Choir. Grandma, we love you. So what are we left with? With Hanley humiliated, Brix's contributions savaged, and Scanlon gone, shouldn't this be another instalment in the diminishing returns we've experienced since 94's middle-class revolt? By all accounts, including his own, Marky Smith was drinking extremely heavily during this period, and he didn't spend a great deal of time in the studio. In her autobiography, The Rise, The Fall and The Rise, Brix claims that he did most of his vocal parts on the final night of recording. Nevertheless, the band seemed somewhat reinvigorated and provided Smith with some meaty jams over which to bellow drunkenly about whatever was eating away at him in 1996. Things pick up on track three, Hey Pep, one of Smith's several odes to amphetamines, and along with Spine Track, one of the last times we'll hear that great interplay between Mark and Brix. In contrast to Cerebral Caustic, and despite things being no less unpleasant between them, this facet of the music really seems to work on light user syndrome. Brick shines on chillinism with its bizarre refrain of dry hump in the hip club. Carl Burns singing vocals on Johnny Paycheck's Stay Away All White Train, however, will remind fans who've seen the full live of those moments when Smith stalks off stage, leaving the band to fill the gap. And unfortunately, a lot of the album feels like this. It becomes dense with chugging riffs, at times powerfully so, but the increasingly incoherent frontman leaves the majority of the album to churn along without him. The album plays out to the frankly bizarre Secession Man, and it's hard not to imagine those graceless keyboard stabs would have been better handled by Dave Bush. But where else are you going to hear what sounds like, but maybe isn't, a vibraphone in the Falls discography? And even as I say that, I know someone's going to get in touch to tell me. An incredibly shambolic tour followed, during which Brix appears to have remembered what working with Mark was really like, especially with her influence over the band's sound so diminished. And in many ways, it felt like the fall's light might be dimming. I'll hand you over to Joe Mitchell to explore what happened next. I'm here to pick up the fall's history in 1997. Picture the scene. Tony Blair's pretending to play the electric guitar. Elton John's in the corner playing Candle in the Wind with his chubby fingers in tribute to the Princess of Our Hearts. And Levitate, the 19th studio album by The Fall, is released into the world to mixed reviews and indifference. Levitate could be seen very loosely as a sequel of sorts to 1990's Extricate, because both records were released after the departure of Bricksmith from The Fold. Both are my favourite 90s Fall albums. Levitate is also significant in the band's discography in that it is the last album in the Fall catalogue to feature drummer Carl Burns, who passed in and out of the band's rank too many times for me to count. Crucially though, it would also prove to be the last from Steve Hanley, whose bass playing was once described by Marky e. Smith as the defining element of the group's music. Smith soon changed his tune once Hanley had abandoned him, shrugging off 19 years of service with the remark, we'll just get ourselves another bass player, and more famously, if it's me and your granny on the bongos, it's the fall. 
Levitate pretty much adheres to that tried and tested fall routine of mixing ramshackle covers, bizarre sound experiments and decent tunes, but it works very well. Smith's decline from verbose poet to piss artist, which had been picked up by many critics in the 90s, initially seemed tragic, but I personally have a good deal of respect for the fact that Mark simply kept on giving us the goods. Indeed, Ten Houses of Eve, the opening track from Levitate, introduces a Mark who has never before sounded so fucked off his face. Zoe Von Hess on the temporary fandoms group said it best when she stated that he sounds like Uncle Peter from Vic and Bob on many of Levitate's tracks. He definitely does, but nevertheless succeeds. There are enough head-turning sounds on Eve to make it a strong opener to Levitate, with its beats and mid-tuned synth melody providing a welcome change of pace from the racket. From here on, you have the single from the album Masquerade, or Masquerade, as Mark would sing. This was Rush released in February 1998 to coincide with Mark winning that year's Enemy Godlike Genius Award, after claiming that the award should really go to Enemy readers for reading the magazine cover to cover. Masquerade is brilliant, dark, murky and messy, fully deserving its place on the Essential Fall collection. 50,000 Fall fans can't be wrong. I'm a Mummy's a whole lot of fun. It's the first of three covers included here. Sadly, the same cannot be said about an absolutely indefensibly shit cover of Hank Mazel's Jungle Rock, which pales in comparison to the original and brings down the tone on what is otherwise a very good album. Last of all on the cover's front, there's a come and stand at your door, popularised by the birds as a come and stand at every door, detailing the ghostly wanderings upon the earth a seven-year-old boy who was killed in the atomic bombing of Hiroshima. It somewhat cheapens the macabre subject detail of a dead child when Marky Smith names the instrumental prelude to the number earlier in the album as Jack Kid, but it's still an effective number. Central to Levitate, though, are three favourite tracks of mine from the album. The quartet of Doc Shanley, Four and a Half Inch and Spencer Must Die, which were the first pieces of music recorded for the album when it was intended to have been produced by Keir Stewart and Simon Spencer, a partnership doomed to fail. The Fall received a VAT bill from the Inland Revenue, which amounted to nearly £200,000 at the start of the sessions, and so arguments concerning payments led to the departure of both Stewart and Spencer, but also funky Simon Wollstonecraft. The quartet of Doc Shanley is brilliant though. Julian Agle serves as a sort of prototype for Eleni Palou with a programming and vocals. Of course, this is interspersed with Mark enthusing about a new series on TV from the creator of his favourite X-Files. And best of all for me is Four and a Half Inch, the name deriving from Marky's opinion that the tune sounds like a poor man's nine inch nails. Really, it is anything but. <laughs> 